Hello, whilst this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio, I'm Rob Parkson, uh, and I'm here talking all things sports in Salford. Join me this week, as ever, got Paul White from the Devil of Detail. Paul, uh, how's your sporting week been? Yeah, yeah, it's been good. There's been plenty of action, plenty of stuff going on. Um, not the best day on, on Sunday for, for Salford, it was disappointing, but it was nice to get a day out in the sunshine. It felt like spring had arrived in, uh, in Huddersfield, a nice sunny day. So, uh, so yeah, I'm doing okay, mate, thanks. Good, good. Loads to talk about on the Sports Zone this week on Salford City Radio. We're going to start with the Rugby League and Salford Devils, Paul. They travelled to Huddersfield Giants on Sunday and lost 34 points to talk us through it. Yeah, it, it, to be honest, Rob, we never got going. I never thought we got going in the game. I thought from from the first um, the first like start starting point of the match, Huddersfield just had all the possession. I don't think we touched the ball in the first five minutes. They got a couple of penalties, repeat sets, and it set the tone for the game. I know we got in front with the penalty goal from Maxine, but that was light relief for us, really. Uh, Huddersfield, they just bullied us. I think that big pack of forwards that they've got, we just never seemed to get a grip of them. and We, we, we struggled to get out of our own half, and when we did... Uh, we got, finally got a bit of possession and a bit of territory in the Huddersfield Giants half. Max Need failed to put his kick into touch, so we were continuously on the back foot. We were, I mean, if it had been a boxing match, I think they'd have thrown the towel in because we were just that far behind, really. And uh, it was many against boys, really. Very, very disappointing. And, you know, Huddersfield took the chance, and I think you've got to give Ian Watson a bit of credit there. He's building and moulding a, a very useful side together there at Huddersfield. Some very, very talented backs. You look at Will Price and Russell. They're the two half-backs they had, Oliver Russell, two youngsters there. Two with Oliver Hill up very good at the back for them, coming out of the back, very dangerous. And they've got a big, strong, rough and tough pack, so I think they're going to do well. But for Salford, it was just a case of being blown away two weeks running, really. And, you know, back to the drawing was an awful lot of hard work to do. That I don't think there's many positives you can take on a game. I think we worked hard. I don't think it was a lack of effort. I think we were just beaten by the by the much better side. And to not score a try as well was was pretty disappointing. Yep. Salford have played four games so far, Paul. One, two, lost two. Uh, what what do you what do you think so far of, of the season under Paul Rowley? Uh, yeah, it was a good win at Castleford. I think for me, good win against Toulouse as well, and then obviously we've been well beaten by two two big packs, I'd say. Um and I don't think our pack is the biggest. Um, I think if we're going to beat sides this season, we ain't going to beat them going up the middle. We're going to have to beat teams by going round them, and that's using our backs. And I heard a few people say today, "Well, we, you know, the backs didn't do anything this that, and the other after the game at Huddersfield." And and it's all right saying that you can have the best back line in the world, and we've got a good back line, but you're never going to be able to get to play that back line if you don't get the territory and, and, and get the field position, which is laid the platform is laid by your forwards. And if your forwards get beaten up and you get started the possession, you're never going to do anything. So. I don't know. I think we need to change some some things round for the whole Kingston Rovers game. That's going to be another tough game coming up this week. Um, so far, yeah, we've got we've got two wins and we've had two defeats away from home. It's not the end of the world, you know. I think we've got to give Huddersfield a lot of credit. They've improved from last season and they look like they're going to be a you know a challenging side, you know, challenging for the playoffs. So um, and Hull are always tough to beat away from home. So I don't think it's the end of the world, but we need to we need to turn the corner fast, Rob. We, we know you you know this time next week coming on here and talking about another defeat against Hull KR, we need to knuckle down and make sure we get a result on Friday night. Yeah, the style of play, Paul, under Paul Rowlett is impressive. We throw the ball about, they score a point. Obviously, doesn't win your games all the time. And like you said, forwards aren't making a plat very difficult for your backs to score tries. But how does Paul Rowley fix that problem with the players that he's got? Because obviously with Salford, they haven't got a vast amount of time, so the possibility of bringing players in probably isn't available. Um, so what is it, Paul? Will it be have to be a change of plan or, or something else? 
Well, one thing I didn't get my head around this week is we've loaned three players out. Mm. And we've not got the biggest squad in the world. We've sent Amir Burra on loan to London and Jack Wells and Josh Johnson have gone to, to Barrow. So, you know, Jack Wells, for me, is one of our biggest forwards. <laughs> and to loan him out, I think it's a strange decision, that. So, um, so I'm not too sure. I don't think we're going to be bringing anybody in. Um, so I think for us, it's, perhaps it is a change of, of tactic. And if you look back to that Castleford game, we did move the ball there well against Castle, and I thought we caught them cold. Perhaps teams, and I know teams have watched that. Ian Watson will have watched that. Um, Hodgson, um, Brett Hodgson Hull will have watched that. Coaches will know how Salford play now. It's always a cagey start to the season, and people perhaps are just finding us out slightly now. So, so yeah, we might have to change things around a bit. You know, Paul Roll is, is a wise coach and, um, you know, speaking to him after the game like we did at the weekend and we listened to him in the press conference, he was disappointed. He was really disappointed with the result. But I think he's, he's trying to protect his players and shield his players and, uh, you know, keep a bit upbeat. It's no use him chucking the towel in now and sort of saying everything's the end of the world. You know, the players' confidence is going to be low as it is. So they need every sort of ounce of ounce of optimism and, and, and positivity as they, they can take so uh, I can understand where Paul Roll is coming from but he does need something to change there Rob because if we go to that whole KR game with it, with the same sort of mentality and, and game plan as we've had in the last two games it's probably not going to work we're going to get beat again So is this Paul Rowley's first real test now that obviously coming back off coming off the back of two defeats Paul is it time obviously for him to, to look, at, look to his players and, and look to see if he can inspire them on yeah, definitely. This is a big test now for for for, for uh, Paul Rowley, Kurt Agatey, and, and Danny R, the coaching uh, trio at Salford. They, they've got to um, they've got to do something in training this week. And I think the players have got to do as well. You know, the players are the ones who go out, out there on the on the park and, and perform. Aren't they? Paul Rowley and his, his staff can only do, do so much in training. It's up to the players now to to execute this game plan. You don't become bad players overnight. You know, we impressed it. At Castleford, and we all said how we was like a, it was like a well-oiled mission, wasn't it? You know, Mark Sneed was absolutely spot on. Our composure was really good, and you don't just lose that overnight. I think that confidence will be low. You know, confidence will have dropped after those two defeats, but you know, confidence can come back. You know, it's, it's all about getting a good start in the game. If you think back to the Cass and the the Toulouse game, we got good starts, didn't we? And we was we was in front early doors in the games. These last two games, we've been on the back foot from more or less minute one and. It sort of spiralled out of control, hasn't it? So, uh, so yeah, we need to get a good start on Friday. You were flirting with uh, sports on bingo there. Where does where does <laughs> where does confidence come from? Where does it go? Nearly said it. Yeah, I was going to say it, and I thought, but I thought you'd pull me up on it, so I pulled away <laughs> at the last minute. But yeah, it's true though, Rob. I mean, you, you think about the the first two wins. You win two matches, and you know you're the best thing since sliced bread. And Paul Roll is great, and this and all the players are great. The supporters are all. You know, lording it up, and then all of a sudden, two defeats and support start moaning, and it it all changes round so fast. You know, you beat Ulcar and you beat Leeds the week after, and everything's rosy again. So sport can change like that, and I think it's important that the players don't lose faith straight away. And that's up to Paul Rowley now and his staff to put a bit of an arm around the players this week, and you know, just say to them, you know, we're not we're not poor players, we've not become poor overnight. We can do this, and that's what sport's about. It is a lot of sport is in the head. You know, obviously you want skill and the players to, you know, to perform, but you've got to be mentally right, haven't you, as well? And, you know, we had two tough away games, you know, going to Hull and, and going away to Huddersfield, the tough away matches. So back down at the AJ Bell on Friday night, I think, um, you know, with the with home crowd behind us, we can we can do the business against Lokar and, and, and get back some confidence back. I think that's what we need. We need to score a few tries and get some uh, some some confidence flowing again. Because you look at the back line we've got, like Ken Seo in there. I mean, he's leading scorer in Super League, you know, up until this weekend. So, um, Max need leading point scorer. So, we've got the talent there. We just need to execute it. 
yeah, obviously people coming in, the new signings, Brody Croft, Shane Wright, Ryan Brylett, you know, they've come in uh, and started, you know, playing for Salford. How do you feel they've gone uh, so far in these first four games? Yeah, I think I think Ryan looked good in the first two games. His confidence has probably been knocked a bit last week. He didn't have his best game at Hull. I don't think you can blame him for uh, for anything at the Huddersfield game. I thought he tracked back superbly to uh, to bring. I think it was, was it Leroy Kudjo went yeah. racing through for yeah. Huddersfield. I thought he tracked back superbly there and brought off a try saving tackle there. Brody Croft for me probably not quite found his feet yet, but he's a guy who's like travelled halfway around the world from Australia. And it takes time to settle sometimes. He's shown touches. I think he'll improve as, as the season goes on. And uh, Mark Sneed as well, probably not had his best two games for Salford. I don't think he was he was very good at, at Hull, really. I think the occasion may have got the better of him. And again, he struggled to uh, to get into the game at Huddersfield. But having said that, everybody did. And you can't blame Mark Sneed for that defeat. I mean, he never really had much opportunity. I know we failed to make touch, which was a bit of a schoolboy error, but... The rest of it, he didn't really have much opportunity to, to do anything because we didn't have the field position. So, uh, so I'm, I'm sure these guys will come good. They've shown enough promise in the first couple of games to to uh, to tell us that it's going to be a decent season. Yeah, people talk about that. Mark Sneed failed to make touch, but then later in this in the game, he kicked a kick off and it went out of play and Solver got the feed. So it swings around about a lot of people pinning that, saying, "Well, you've got to make touch." But he did create chances later on with his kicking. He did, he did, Rob. But I mean, if you ask any coach, failing to make touch me is one of the cardinal sins in rugby league. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something you get taught when you're about five year old. You've got to make sure that ball goes in because if you don't, it's a fine margin. Sometimes if that ball had gone into touch there, we could have scored off that set. You don't make touch; it bangs the other team straight back on the front foot. So it's little things like that. When you're not doing those little things right, that can sort of change change matches. So. You know, the little details have got to be right. The basics, you've got to do the basics right to win a match. If you watch Huddersfield uh, the weekend, like Paul Rowley was saying about the statistics, you know, after every match, they do the little things right every week. They're up there with the completion rate and the, the, the lowest errors and things like that. And that's something what I was drummed into that side. So, uh, so yeah, you, you've got to get those little things right before, you know, if you want to get anywhere, really. So, um, so yeah, I'm not blaming Max New, though. Max is a quality player. I think he's just uh, he's just been low on confidence the last couple of weeks, and it's up to him now to uh, to put that right. And you know he's won the Lance Todd Trophy twice. There's no mug. I'm sure he'll uh, he'll sort himself out. Yeah, the devil is always in the detail, Paul. Cheeky plug for you there. Um, obviously, <laughs> talking about the last two weeks, two sinbinnings. Uh, Ryan Lannan was sinbinned this week against Huddersfield. Um, Sneed was simbined against Hull. Uh, is that a problem? Do you think this is a problem building for Salford? Obviously, last season, discipline was rife. We had a, f- a few games of, of simbins and, and sending offs, and you're hoping it's not going to start again. No, going back to Sunday against Huddersfield, I don't know what the penalty count was because I've not seen it yet, but it did seem it was quite high. Uh, we conceded quite a lot. I know we seem to concede a lot of those six to goals. I think we, we got one in a Paul already said it about three minutes from time, but they Huddersfield seems to get a lot of six to goes, and you, you're giving away daft penalties there, and you know laying on and offside, not square at the marker, and things like that. And yeah, I say I won't say it's becoming a concern. I, I, I was a bit puzzled by the Ryan Lannan one. Um, it didn't seem like we were persistently offending it offside, but he decided to to put Ryan Lannan in the bin. I think the process one of those sometimes when things aren't going for you and everything seems to be going wrong. That tends to happen, doesn't it? You lose players to the sim. So I wouldn't say it's be- become a concern yet, but but no, I think 
but when you, you're losing like that and you are on the back foot behind the eight ball or whatever you want to call it, it does things seem to conspire, don't they? And a team gets on that front foot and gets the confidence and starts running at you. And I think you've got to give Huddersfield a lot of credit, as like I said before. Will Price, I thought, was excellent for them. He's a cracking young player. And Oliver Russell, another guy as well, who's, who looked really good at half-back. And they, they bossed the game. And Tuil Ali coming out the back at full-back, they asked us a lot of questions, really. And that pace and quick play of the ball, you know, we found it hard to deal with. Yeah. Hull KR this week at the AJ Bell Stadium on Friday, Paul. Massive game for, for, for Solford. Obviously, I've coming off the back of two defeats. Do really need to get back, swing a thing with a victory. Yeah, well, KR's only won one this season, haven't they? They uh, were well beaten the weekend by uh, the machine that is St. Helens. They look pretty good, don't they, from, from what I've seen so far. They seem to be walloping everybody in, in, in Super League and to go away from home to, um, to, to Craven Park and win 42 points to eight. So, He's no mean feat, to be honest with you. So, all okay, are going to be tough to, to beat. They've got some uh, some clever players, haven't they, as well? You know, Mikey Lewis looks like, uh, you know, a real a real uh, good uh, a good young player there. Jordan Abdul's always decent. Matt Parcell, they've got some good forwards as well. Sean Kennedy down on the back. Ryan Hall's a, a good try scorer. So, they've got a, got a good side of OKR. Okay, and, um, you know, Tony Smith will have them fired up as well. They'll be targeting this game, won't they? Because, obviously, a lot of people have tipped them to do well this season. But going off the start, they could be... Could be struggling as well, so uh, we're definitely struggling at the moment. We're in a bit of a dogfight and we need to get out of it. So, this is a home game and, and one we need to win. But I'm not expecting an easy game, Rob. I think Kulkar will be targeting just like us and uh, should be fireworks. It should be a cracker. Yeah, the momentum in the club is going forward, Paul. There is excitement building off off the ter- off the field in the terraces and in the city about the club. Uh, important we 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 grab hold of that and win games like Hulkar at home because obviously if we do not win games like that, that's when the the balloon starts to diffuse, doesn't it? It does. It does, and it can you can soon unravel. Uh, as a club I think and you know once you start losing matches and getting that losing run it can be sometimes hard to turn around so if you go and lose another game especially at home I think away from home sometimes you can get away with it because not all your supporters are there and it's an away game there's a bit of mitigation a bit of an excuse but once you start losing home games and, and what have you it's uh, it's difficult then and, and you do people lose confidence the balloon starts to, to burst as you say and you do you, you start to Start going under, so yeah, it's important that we we get a good result, especially these next two games. Now you look at Hull KR, we've got the Leeds game the week after. There's an awful lot of school kids coming the week after, and we want it to be a big carnival atmosphere. You don't want to let them down, so uh, so yeah, the hard work you have to put in this week. Paul Rowley and the players will be on the training part this week, and they they need to uh, you know do a bit of soul searching this week and and come back and come back stronger and really put up a good performance against Hull KR. There's no doubt they can get the two points if they do that. Yeah, uh, let's talk about our ladies uh, team. Uh, they faced Wakefield, who were a Super League side, in a the final pre-season friendly of the season. They won 20 points to 16. Fantastic uh, results uh, for the ladies. They beat Swinton Lions already. You, they were unfortunate against Wigan last week and just fell to defeat. Uh, but a great win against a strong Wakefield team. Yeah, certainly. I wish I'd have gone and watched the ladies on Sunday rather than go and watch the men's team because they've done really well. So, yeah, congratulations to them. They've had a great start, haven't they? And, uh, you know, the win against Swinton was was a good building block. And then to, to go up against the Super League side in Wigan and, and come up re- come up just short, really, they, they was unlucky in that game. And uh, to beat Wakefield, as you said, another Super League club, that's going to give them a world of confidence now going into next season when they're going to play in the Championship. So, uh, a real successful, um, successful sort of... Um, Inauguration for the for the, the ladies team really you know let's for, not forget we're brand new aren't we 
you know, a brand new club in, in ladies rugby league. So uh, to do what they've done over the last month or two, it's absolutely outstanding. So I just wish all the ladies all the best now in their preparations to, for playing in the championship. I'm sure the confidence is absolutely buzzing. Yeah, the try scorers uh, were Louise Fellingham, Lucy, Lucy McCown, Erin uh, Tong, and the goals were kicked by uh, Denny Jones. You spoke to, to Captain uh, Louise Helling, uh, Fellingham. Uh, she's a very inspirational uh, character. Uh, she's a she's a fire firefighter, uh, which which is fantastic to what she does off the field. And uh, you know she's a the perfect candidate to lead this team forward. She certainly is, yeah. She's a really nice lady as well and um, really nice to chat to her. We got the chance and, um, you know, she is, she, she's an inspirational person, really, you know, for a lot of those younger ladies that in the side. She's quite a bit more experienced. Um, and, yeah, and she seems to have rubbed that off on, 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 her, um, on, her, on her teammates and, um, you know, seems a real good leader and, and the perfect candidate to be a captain, really. So, uh, so, yeah, I just wish them all the best. I just, you know, can't wait for it to start for the championship. I'm sure they're all absolutely, um, you know, revved up for it now you know they've got a lot of friendlies and yeah friendlies are good but you want to be playing competitive rugby league every week especially in a league structure so uh, I'm sure they're absolutely buzzing and can't wait to get started with that now but the confidence must be must be great you know two wins and coming up short just against Wigan it's been a great start for them yeah, final bit of Salford news, uh, Paul. Uh, Matt Carr has been appointed as Salford Red Devils' new uh, rugby safeguarding officer. Obviously, in the uh, current climate, um, it's important the club uh, has this people like him in the community to liaise uh, with the schools and, and the local amateur clubs and make sure on a match day uh, that their needs are treated. Yeah, definitely, definitely is a good guy, is Matt, a friend of our show, a devil in the detail as well. So, uh, so yeah, wish him all the best with that job. And as you say, it's an important job. There's a good link up with schools now. We're, we're doing an awful lot with it with the schools out in the local area and, and a lot of the junior clubs as well. So to keep that sort of uh, partnership going and, and that link going, I'm sure Matt will do a tremendous job. Yeah, let's talk uh, Swinton Lions uh, now. They've got a friendly against Keefley on Sunday, 3 p.m. kickoff. Uh, interesting, obviously, they've not had many friendlies so far. The season is coming up quick for the Lions. Uh, they are one of the favourites to come up after relegation last season. Um, are you hoping that they can uh, get back into league, uh, the Premier Championship? Yeah, yeah, I hope so, Rob. Yeah, despite being a Salford supporter, I do look out for Swinton as well. There's probably not many Swinton supporters who want Salford to do well, <laughs> but I'd like to see Swinton do well. So, so yeah, it's been funny for Swinton Lions, really, because with them getting knocked out of the cup early doors, they've not been, been playing as many games as the other clubs. Obviously, the championship started and League One is starting a bit later, so... Uh, so they're probably not going to be. Um, they need this friendly really to keep their uh, their match fitness up for the start of their league. And as you say, one of the favourites. But don't forget, Keith the Cougars uh, one of the favourites for that 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 league as well. So that's a good solid testing uh, friendly for them. But as we've said a few times on the show, the League One looks a, a real mouthwatering competition. You've got North Wales uh, Crusaders in there who are who are one of my dark horses, really. I've been been following them quite closely and keeping tabs on them, and they look uh, a bit of a dark horse for that league. Got Rochdale on, it's Oldham as well, um, amongst others. So uh, that's going to be a real, real tough league for them. So, yeah, they need to get that friendly under the belts against Keefler, get a bit of match fitness there, ready for the uh, the start of their competitive season. Yep, season tickets are still available for the Swinton Lions. £125 for adults and free for, for children. Uh, great value to watch rugby league. 
Certainly is, yeah, you can't whack that. And uh, and they put on a good match there, don't they? Swinton Lions down at um, Haywood Road. Every time I've been down there, I've really enjoyed it. So, uh, so yeah, I hope to get down there this season if I can and, uh, and, uh, and cheer them on. We're getting lynched now by Salford Sports <laughs> for saying that. But no, we wish them all the best. We want them to do well. And uh, good to have you know local sport in the area doing well, in particular rugby league. As I, as I like to see Oldham and, and Rochdale doing well as as well, we want our local northwest sides up there, and uh, you know, keeping those, those those Yorkshire teams under wraps. Yeah, the Rugby League World Cup came to Swinton this week. He went to St Peter's Primary School. It was great, obviously, with the World Cup at the end of the year that we're able to engage in the community, and hopefully, people will go and watch it at the end. Yeah, I can't wait for the World Cup. It was such a shame last year with everything that was going on in the world with the you know, pandemic and whatever that we couldn't have the World Cup, but. Let's hope at the end of this season it's bigger and bigger and stronger than it was going to be last year. You know that there's going to be games all over the country, and you know it really does. Uh, you know, it's a festival of rugby league, isn't it? The World Cup, and I'm expecting a really competitive one this time. You know, you've got some real good, you know, sides on the on the other side of the world. You look at the likes of Tonga and Samoa and Australia, and New Zealand. You know, the Cook Islands have got some good teams, uh, good some good players. Sorry as well, Fiji. It's going to be a super exciting the, the World Cup, and obviously England as well. You know, the the training squad was announced last week. Dan Sargent was in, but I'm sure there's an opportunity for other players to get in there as well. So yeah, you can't beat international rugby league. It's uh, top notch. Yeah. So that's all the rugby chat, Paul. And now we're going to be talking ice hockey. Yeah, certainly, Rob. Yeah, Manchester Storm two games this week. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, Manchester Storm one win, one defeat this week. Paul, they played Nottingham Panthers at home on Saturday at the Storm Shelter and won 7-4. Atmosphere was unbelievable. 2,000 Storm fans jumping around, celebrating that fantastic win. Scott Simmons was voted man of the match. There was goals from Jared Jared Van Wormer, Finley Urich, Adam Bader and others. Dallas Earhart got two as well. Scott Simmons got one. And well, like I said before, this Storm side, can score goals. The problem is it's defence, the elite goals. But they've gone and put on a massive performance against uh, Nottingham on the Saturday, one seven four. Sunday, not so good. Away at Nottingham, lost 5-2. Tried, worked hard, but unfortunately Nottingham showed they had a very good side and came away victorious. Disappointing uh, for Storm. Uh, but, you know, if, you look, if you're looking back you know, at the week, if someone said to you, Paul, you win one, lost one this week. Would you take that against Nottingham? You would. So Ryan Finney's men can move forward with a little bit more confidence with that win on Saturday. Are they showing signs of improvement, Rob? I mean, the last couple of weeks we've, we've spoke about Storm and you've sounded a bit disappointed with the results and what have you. Is there, is there signs of improvement there now? They, they are little bits, Paul. They need to string a few wins together. If they can, they can string victories together. Confidence will grow in the in the squad. They aren't cut adrift at the bottom. They are ninth at the moment. They are five points adrift of Guildford, who is in eighth. But with ice hockey, anything changes in two or three weeks because you play two, three. Sometimes you play three games a week. Sometimes also time you play two. But if you can win sort of four, five games on the spin, that can catapult you forward into that league. And, and I'm sure Ryan Finney will be talking to his players, getting them switched on. As Don't forget, let's be honest with ourselves, if they can beat Nottingham on Saturday by that many goals, and it's such an exciting game, they can turn anybody over. So you're just hoping Ryan Finney's men can find a way to, to grind a few more results out uh, and carry on up that league. What are the fixtures for this week, Rob? Yeah, this week uh, they've got five home and away. 
Fife are bottom of the league, so opportunity knocks for Ryan Finney's men. Double win weekend will catapult Storm up that up that table, get them closer to the chasing pack in that playoffs, uh, and we can look forward to the next few weeks of possible playoff ice hockey. That's important. We need to be within striking distance of the playoffs when the uh, when the party starts in April. So you're hoping two wins against Fife this weekend can be uh, the start of that uh, long run to the playoffs. What are Fife like? Are they are they one of the top boys or are they definitely beatable? Yeah, definitely beatable, Paul. The 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 sort of at the bottom of the league at the moment. Uh, I, I'm sure Ryan Finney's men will be looking at this double header as being the the moment that switches for him in this season. Um, if they get beat, obviously that will be panic stations. But Ryan Finney, he knows the he's got the ammunition. Uh, he's got the players who score the goals. Van Worm, I've said that before. As soon as he signed, I said he's a goal scorer and he's proving his worth for me. So hopefully he can find the net in the next uh, few games and uh, Storm can uh, go two from two. Best of luck to the Storm this week. Right, we're now joined by James Sweetnam. Hi, James. Are you ready to talk all things sport in Salford? Yeah, most certainly am, Paul. And first things up, I've got the boxing. There was a fantastic fight over the weekend. Roman Tocolatito Gonzalez, the Nicaraguan hero, the super flyweight champion of the world. Looks absolutely sensational in completely obliterating Julio Cesar Martinez, a man who was renowned for ferocious power. Many remember him for coming over here and absolutely destroying Charlie Edwards inside a free round. So you'd have expected him to go on to do great things. And maybe this was going to be the start against Chocolatito. But the great man rolled back the years in an absolutely vintage performance. And he blew us all away, didn't he, Paul? He certainly did. And I know he's a massive, massive favourite of yours as well. <laughs> so I knew you'd be absolutely flying on tonight's show. Uh, but yeah, as you said, you know his opponent uh, come over to to Britain and, and beat one of our best in this country. So and looked very strong in that that fight as well. So uh, for Chocolatito to to come up with such a, a vintage performance, as you say, I mean, I don't think we, we should say it's a surprise because we know what a quality fighter he is. But it was a, a fantastic performance. And where does he go from here now? What else can he do in, in his fantastic career? What else can he conquer? So uh, so yeah, it was it was great to see. And, um, and yeah, what's up next? When we talk about Chocolatito, we always talk about him rolling back the years, but it seemed in his most recent performances that he's still at his best, even at the age he is now. I mean, his performance against Cal Yafai, his performance against Juan Estrada, admittedly, he didn't get the decision last night, but anybody with a pair of eyes had him winning that fight. And then again against Julio Cesar Martinez, People sort of claim that maybe he's backing around the pound-for-pound pound rankings. But for me, Paul, surely he's got to be back up near the top end for these amazing performances he's producing. I think so. I think so, definitely. I mean, when when you're putting away quality operators as well who, who've been put in with, you know, quality opponents, we, you know, fight in, fight out, you, you, you've got to be as well. And, um, and yet, it, that's the sign of a pound-for-pound pound best fighter that, you know, in the world. When you're uh, you're beating quality opponents and, and beating them comfortably as well, and putting in these these top top ranked displays, so uh, so yeah, I think so definitely. I mean, we've said it a few times. I know you said that to me a few times that he's uh, 
you know, he's knocking on a bit now and, and you, you you expect fighters to slow down. But I think the mark of a quality fighter who's still, you know, got that, that peakness in him. I think Chocolatito has definitely got that. And just be interested to see which path he goes down next and, and if he does carry on and, and who, he, who he takes on next. But uh, but no, I'd have him as one of the pound for pound best, best fighters. There's no doubt about that. It's interesting because on social media, it seems every single fighter has the people who love them and has the people who hate them. It doesn't matter who they are. There's always somebody who's got a negative opinion on your favourite fighter. But Roman Gonzalez is a little bit different. It's very rare you see anybody say anything negative about him. Why do you think he is so popular? Um, I think he's a pretty likeable guy to, to me, to be honest with you. I mean, social media is a bit like that nowadays and everybody seems to have an opinion on everybody. And as you said there, there's always somebody with, with something negative to say. But I think I thought a lot of it down in boxing, sport of boxing in particular, I think is, is respect what fighters have. I think if there's a if you've got a fighter there who's who's putting it in every time and coming up with these these performances against people that you know are expected to do well against him, like his opponent at the weekend, that that was a tough fight that and to dispatch him pretty comfortably, you're going to get that respect and I think that that goes a long way in boxing in the sport of boxing and you know that that could that could be why he gets so much positivity because of the respect that people have for him. Looking at future opponents for him, Juan Estrada, the trilogy, that's the one that Eddie Hearn seems to be targeting. But there's also rumblings of him moving up to a fifth weight class to take on the likes of Nanito Denaire and Nuyu and Oyui. Yes, he's a legend, but are those two men a little bit too big for him? It's a big step up, that. It would be a big step up. I mean, there's only him who'd know that. He knows his body and knows whether he can get up to that, that weight. But... I find it difficult sometimes when you see boxers moving up a weight. And yeah, we well, yeah, a one weight category can be done sometimes. But when you're moving up three, four, five weight categories and you're asking that of your body, it's, it's difficult sometimes. You don't always have that punching power, do you? Even if you move up the weight, these guys are naturally bigger, naturally physically bigger and physically stronger. And, you know, you can put weight on and move up weight classes, but do you ever actually get that, that sort of, power that, you, that you're born with and you get from your, your, your genetics and your DNA so uh, so no it's, it's something that he's going to have to look at he'll, he'll know his body and he'll, he'll have experts around him his team around him and he'll know which way to go but if you've got that talent and you've, you've got the belief to go and go and move up a weight like that then, then why not but I'm always a bit cautious when I see fighters doing that Moving on to this weekend and we've got an absolute cracker of a domestic world title fight yes for the WBA regular title but Leo Santa Cruz hasn't fought and defended his belt for, I think, three years now. So I'm willing to give this one a pass. Lee Wood, Michael Conlon, two terrific fighters. Conlon obviously coming through that Olympic background, all the controversy with being robbed of a place of getting an Olympic medal. Not quite hit the ground running as a professional, not quite caught the imagination the way we thought he would, but perhaps this is his opportunity. And Lee Ward, after the Jazza Dickens loss, came back and absolutely shot the world beating Kanzu. So this is a great fight between two good men. Yeah, and it's a domestic dust-up, as you said, as well, and, and, and two two quality fighters, and it's always good to see these domestic dust-ups, but especially when it's for the world title as well. So uh, so this one, this one should be a good fight. Both talented lads. And, and both guys that probably are not household names yet, really. I mean, they are in, you know, boxing purists will we'll know all about them, but they could be after this weekend. This is the sort of fight that propels you up there and up the rankings and uh, and, and gets you on to, to, to big, massive fights as well, you know, the stadium sort of fights. So, 
you know, once you've got that world title, you know, the world's your oyster then after that, really. So, uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. As you say before, you know, domestic fights, you have that bit of rivalry as well. And we've seen the last few weeks, haven't we, some of the, the, the fights that we've had. Uh, you know, with, with British fighters against each other. It really does capture the public's imagination. I think it has that extra bit of edge as well, so I'm looking forward to this one coming up. Having a look at the heavyweight division now. First things first, we'll look at Tyson Fury. And last week, we discussed the rumours whether Dillian White was going to show at the press conference, whether he wasn't. In the end, he opted not to. But it doesn't seem to have hurt the promotion because they've sold over 80,000 tickets already. Frank Warren's going to try and get an extension to sell 100,000 tickets, breaking the Wembley record and becoming the highest ever viewed match uh, in terms of a live gate in the United Kingdom. I mean, everybody said that Anthony Joshua was the draw in this comfy, but it's looking like Tyson Fury can more than match him. Oh, I think so. And I think it could possibly have something to do with the fact that he's on about retiring. That's been a bit of a rumour as well. And, you know, that could, could play into the public's hand, really. I mean, if it is going to be Tyson Fury's last fight, People want to be there to, to see it, don't they? Who've not seen him already, or people who've followed his career. So, yeah, he's a massive draw. I mean, he's a massive character, isn't he? And you know, in more ways than one, um, you know, real charismatic person. And how he's not won the the sports personality yet, I'm not too sure because he's probably one of the biggest personalities in the country. You know, he really is. He's such a funny guy, and you know what he's been through as well. His story. So, uh, so yeah, he's he's an entertainer as well. I mean, you, you're going to see a terrific fight there. I think you know between him and Dylan White. Dylan White's an absolute warrior as well, and he's a guy that won't back down. You know, he'd run through a brick wall, wouldn't he? So, um, so that I think it's going to be a real gunslinging fight. That and you know, Tyson Fury's. You know, I'd still love to see him fight Anthony Joshua. I don't know whether that fight will happen now. You know, depending on how he goes, his retirement talk. I'd take with a pinch of salt. Really, I'm not too sure. I still think he's got you know boxing in him. He's from a boxing family, so uh, we'll have to see where that one goes. But just going back to what you were saying about. Wembley Stadium there and the crowd and that where they're going to fit all these people in and they're going to have people on the roof and that hundred odd thousand at Wembley it's going to be absolutely amazing that and you can imagine all the all the lights and people's camera phones and all that going off as they come out and everything flashing and that it's going to be going to be some atmosphere that there at, uh, at Wembley it really will be and now looking at Anthony Joshua he's announced that Lee Fernandez will be his new trainer ahead of the Alexander Usyk rematch. Fernandez, the man who's always been in the camp and now he's been upgraded to full-time coach ahead of Rob McCracken. We were expecting names like Virgil Hunter or Eddie Reynoso. So has this name come as a bit of a surprise to you, Paul? Yeah, yeah, possibly. I don't know a lot uh, about the guy, really, to be honest with you. But I think Anthony Joshua perhaps needed a bit of a new direction. I mean, Rob McCracken has been a, a terrific trainer over the years. Remember his, his wonderful partnership with, with Carl Froch and what he doesn't know about boxing is not worth knowing. So, uh, so yeah, I'm not so sure where Anthony Joshua, you know, what direction he's heading in at the moment. And, you know, this this fight with um, Alexander Usyk is going to be uh, going to be something. You know, Usyk at the moment, you know, got feel sorry for him, and you know the, the, all the things that's happened in his homeland and things like that. He's got all that on his on his plate at the moment, but uh, but yeah, we'll have to see how, how that one uh, how that one pans out. Most certainly, it's going to be very interesting. Obviously, you mentioned there Alexander Usyk with problems in his homeland. We've got no idea how long this will go on for. So Anthony Joshua is potentially targeting an interim bout. Is there any particular opponent you'd like to see him in with to sort of bridge the gap before he gets in with Usyk again? Um, oh, now you're asking there. Um, 
I'd love to see him fight Dylan White again. Obviously, that's not going to happen. He's fighting Anthony Joshua. Could we see perhaps a domestic fight, maybe a Derek Chisora or someone like that? I don't know, really. There's probably not a lot of people around available at the moment. You know, who, who you'd sue him with, really. I'm not too sure who he'd go for. Um, just going back to, to what I said about Usyk there, that, you know, it's, it's terrible what's happening uh, in Ukraine at the moment. And how, how is that going to affect, you know, Usyk, what's going on there and, you know, his training and, you know, what? How his how his family are in, in his homeland, so that's going to be going to be really tough for him. So uh, you know, wish him all the best, and as we do for all the sports people on on that side of the world. So that's going to be really difficult. But as for for Anthony Joshua, I'm not too sure where he, he goes. So I'm sure he'd like to to keep himself ticking over because there's nothing worse than being out of the ring for too long, is there? No, the most certainly isn't. And somebody who's been out of the ring for a little for a while now is Gennady Golovkin. He's taking on Ryota Murata on the 8th of April in Japan, going to away territory there to unify the middleweight belts. What sort of Golovkin are you expecting to turn up, Paul? Is he still going to have that old thunder, or has he been out of the ring too long? It's, it's difficult, that. It's a difficult question to answer. Um, I'd like to think he still has got that thunder, but, you, you know, you, you tend to find sometimes you, you get a bit of rust, don't you, when you're outside the ring for that long, but... If I had to put my neck on the line and say, what do I think? I'd probably say that Gennady Kolovkin will still have something left there. You know, he's been an absolute quality fighter. We know he's got terrific power. You know, he's one of the best that's been around for a while. So, uh, you know, pound for pound, one of the top fighters. And I don't think you just become a, a mug overnight, do you? So I'd expect him to be very, very wary. I mean, if I was you know, a trainer or sending one of my fighters into fight Gennady Golovkin, you'd leave no stone unturned, would you? You'd make sure you did all your preparation and you were going in there for the best Gennady Golovkin because, you know, what he brings to the table is is fantastic. So I'd expect him to be fully tuned up for this, you know, despite him being out of the ring for a while. He'll be training like a mad. Most certainly, especially considering there's a potential trilogy fight with Canelo in the midst. I mean, should Canelo beat Dimitri Bivol, not a foregone conclusion, but he's probably the favourite. It's looking like that's the route he's going to go down. For me, Golovkin won both the first two fights, and that's sort of been forgotten about now. But a lot older, and is it becoming almost a one-sided fight in Canelo's favour with the age gap? Possibly. I mean, people have wrote Canelo off in, in a few fights and, and said this, that, and that about him, and he keeps coming and answering the critic, doesn't int- and showing people how good he is. We've seen him fight some of the the top British fighters, and I mean top British fighters, and he's it's been men against boys, really, hasn't it? Without being disrespectful, Canelo is a special, special fighter, and you know that 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 fight against Bibble, as you said, it's not a foregone conclusion, but I'd fully expect Canelo to come through that. Um, so, so yeah, Golovkin again, it, it's going to be tough for him, but uh, I'd probably go with Canelo, to be honest with you. Yeah, so would I. But moving on to another contest in and around that division, and Frank Warren has been on an amazing run of form recently. He won the Tyson Fury-Dillian White purse bid by breaking the purse bid world record. He then manages to sell the whole thing out, despite the fact that Eddie Hearn said he wouldn't. He then beats the matchroom man again by winning the purse bid for Zach Parker versus Demetrius Andrade. The American is willing to fly over to the UK to do that fight. Most likely, Pride Park Derby, the first stadium show, a football ground outside of Wembley in quite a long time. So, this one, Paul, how does it show that Frank Warren 
where, where is he is in the landscape at the moment? Because Eddie Hearn obviously has been the big name promoter for such a long period of time, but looking at the DAZN bank accounts, which were released the other week, they seem to be struggling. And is Frank Warren becoming the number one promoter in the country once again, or can we not write Eddie Hearn off yet? No, I don't. I don't think you can write Eddie Hearn off just yet. You know, he, you know he, what he's got up his sleeve. He's still got, you know, plenty of clout in, in boxing. Well, you know, Frank Warren's been around a long time. He's got a good stable of fighters there as well. And you know, I, I, I love boxing, and I don't think one promoter should have the sort of lion's share of things. You know, boxing is a fantastic sport, and I think there's plenty of of British fighters out there, and, and plenty for, for for these promoters to get the teeth into it and showcase. I mean, the more boxing we see, and the more boxing events we see, the the better. We all love these big stadium bills and, and things like that. You know, Derby County would be tremendous. We, you know, Nottingham Forest. We've had stuff there before. Everton. We've seen some great fight nights. Anfield, um, Old Trafford over in the past as well. Wembley Stadium. Now, all the fight nights we're getting in Scotland at the arenas and what have you. So, so yeah, I'd like to see all the promoters doing well. And, and the more boxing, the more great fights we see, the better. Most certainly, another big fight potentially on the horizon: Kelbrook versus your man Conor Ben. A fight that seemingly everybody wants to see. Ye versus experience, a rising prospect in Conor Ben, who seems to be getting better and better and better. And Kel Brook, who's well and truly got his mojo back. Eddie Hearn's trying to make this one, although there's been stumbling blocks over money. According to Ben, Brook has requested £10 million, a lot of money. He received £3 million for the calm fight, plus, you know, you'd imagine a decent chunk of the pay-per-view. Who's the A-side in this one, and how much does Brooke deserve to make? Who's the A-side? That's another hard question. <laughs> um, you'd have to say, Kel, Brooke at the ball, wouldn't you? I mean, you know, world, world champion, ex-world champion. He's been in some great fights. He's beat beat Amir Khan as well. So you'd probably say he's the, he is the man at the moment. Conor Ben, without being... Ah, it's disrespectful, I think, to say to Conor Ben's a bit of a young pup coming up. He's not, really. He's, he's, he's coming to what, the, the prime of his career now, isn't he? In chasing real title fights. I think it's a dangerous fight for for both fighters, really. There'd be a lot on the line there. It'd be another one that'd be tough to choose. I mean, Kel Brook showed against Amir Khan that he's still got it. He can still bang. He can still box. And he's a big lad as well at the weight. Uh, Conor Ben is so fast, so aggressive. I think, you know, that fight would be would be great, you know. We know what kind of Ben's like. You know, he gets in that ring and he's absolutely ferocious, isn't he? I love to, to see him fight. And I think Kelbrook will give him a big test. I think it's probably the biggest test of his career. So that's a fight I'd love to see him made. Some disappointing news here, Paul. Deeply saddening stuff. Guillermo Rigondeau, in his prime, one of the best pound-for-pound boxers on the planet. He's been in an accident. A pressure cooker exploded in his face and he's lost 80% of his vision. And I think uh, all of us at the sports are just hoping that the Cuban grey uh, gets better soon. Yeah, that's also what, what a terrible accident and, you know, something to happen to you as well. You can be, you know, not, not much worse than losing your, your sight and what have you. So let's hope he gets better soon and, and his sight can be, so I say, the best it can be because that's, that's, a, that's a terrible story to him. Most certainly. Now, moving on to Wasserman and the Sourlands. They've secured a deal with Sky, uh, with Channel 5, sorry. They've got the likes of Chris Eubank Jr. in the stable. They've got Josh Kelly. They've got Nathan Gorman. And they're ready to make a bit of a splash in the UK boxing scene. I mean, it's just fantastic to see good boxing back on Channel 5. It is, yeah. Channel 5 has some cracking uh, cracking fight nights over the, the years and, and what have you. So it's good to see, you know, boxing on, on terrestrial television. We get a lot of it on, on satellite, don't we? And, I think there's too much on pay-per-view, to be honest with you. Um, I don't think the, the Cam Brook fight should have been on uh, on pay-per-view. 
I think people should be able to see boxing and, and, and you know, you shouldn't have to spend loads and loads of money to see it. So uh, it's great to see it on terrestrial television. And they do a good job as well. A lot of the people criticising Jack Cattrall and Josh Taylor were using, you know, words such as corruption and all that type of thing. I mean, that was even mentioned by Anna Woolhouse on Sky Sports. And people are looking for somebody to place the blame on. Ben Shalom's come out saying he wants to change the sport of boxing. He's making inquests. He's going to do whatever he can to help out. So it doesn't seem like he's to blame. Sky Sports, of course, putting out multiple videos, obviously claiming that they completely disagree with the decision. Top rank a bit tone deaf on the matter, posting videos up of Josh Taylor celebrating with the captions and still. Bob Aaron's come out and said he fought Taylor won by a few rounds. Obviously, nobody saw it that way. So obviously, we're not making allegations, but should the book be placed with top rank, at least from the perspective that they should at least admit reality? It's a difficult one. It, it is. A, I still go down the road. I mean, I, I've watched the fight back a few times and... As I said, I try not to listen to the Sky Sports commentary as much because I think they can be a little bit biased sometimes and you sort of get swayed by what they're saying. But I still think Cattrall won the fight. Um, I don't know. I think a lot of the rounds were close as well. Perhaps it wasn't as wide as what we think. Um, It's a a real difficult one. You're talking about having inquests and things like that. If you think back to the fight, though, there's one thing that perhaps a lot of not a lot of people have, have spoke about is when Josh Taylor was in his corner, I think with about two or three rounds to go, his trainer was saying how far behind he was and you needed to go and get a knockout. So I think there, you, you've heard it from the horse's mouth there, haven't you? The guy who knows him the best. And if he said that, I mean, wow. So, uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's hard for us to, to debate on the, on the subject, but uh, I think something does need to change with the scoring and, and things like that. But, uh, I don't know. I think when you're a world champion and you're in your backyard sometimes, it's been said before, the the opponent, the underdog, has got to go there and get a knockout. We've seen it loads and loads of times, haven't we, with fighters who've, who've been good. I think I always use the Martin Murray and, and Felix Stern one. Won that fight easily. It was in Germany, in his backyard. He didn't get the decision. Same with Ed Sergio Martinez fight. So it's gone on for a long time. I mean, Martin Murray's an interesting one there because people remember Martin as a bit of a domestic fighter, somebody who always gave it his best, but not quite at, not quite at the elite level. And then they forget the fact that really he should be a two-time world champion. And Martin Murray should perhaps have the legacy as one of the greatest British boxers of all time, but we don't remember him like that because of these bad decisions. I certainly do. I think I think you're boxing like me and you do, boxing purists. I think we, we can remember that. I mean, totally robbed, I thought, in, in those fights. And went over there and beat those opponents, those world-class operators in, in their own backyard. So it is a shame because he's not got that on his legacy. And uh, I think, you know, he, deep down, he knows he, he won those fights and probably uh, probably a small crumb of comfort for him, really. You've not got the, the glory, you know, the supporters seeing that. So, uh, so yeah, but it's gone on for a long time. I think there's other fighters we could mention as well, isn't there, who, who we think of uh, probably... Rob's an harsh word, isn't it, sometimes, but... He does seem very tough. I felt for Jack Catterall the other week. I thought he worked really hard there and he he should have got the decision. Yeah, I suppose he joins that long list of the likes of Martin Murray, the likes of Matthew Macklin, the likes of Oval McKenzie, Brits who fought for world titles, won them and not been awarded the decision. It's desperately sad, but hopefully with everything that's gone on, he can be the catalyst for change. But the last question for you today, Paul, bit of a weird one. A run-in between John Fury and Carl Frampton. And, of course, Tyson Fury's dad, always a character in the game, always willing to step up and, you know, fight his son's battles. Carl Frampton picked Jake Paul to beat Tommy Fury. 
John's obviously not taken too kindly to this. He's got in Frampton's face. He's sort of squared up for him. It's not. It's not got. It's not got physical, but John Fury, of course, a very intimidating character, and and let's be honest, about twice the size of Carl Frampton. John, of course, operating as a heavyweight in his day. Frampton operating as a featherweight, super featherweight, and even as low as super bantamweight in his heyday when he beat Scott Quigg and, and people like that. But John Fury telling Frampton he knows nothing about boxing, telling him he used to look up to him, but he doesn't anymore, telling him he doesn't deserve to be in the job anymore. What do you make of that? Does John Fury have a right to stand up for his son and say what he's saying? Is it wrong for Frampton to be picking a YouTuber? Or is Frampton just allowed his opinion and John doesn't really have a right to say anything about that? I don't know. I think I think everyone's entitled to an opinion, aren't they? I don't think Carl perhaps was being disrespectful. I think perhaps John Fury needs to just wind his neck in a bit. Really, I think he was a bit out of order the way he spoke to to Carl Frampton. But to be honest with you, Carl Frampton didn't really seem bothered, did he? he? Sort of shrugged it off and just walked away from him. So <laughs> I think Carl Frampton can look after himself. I don't think he has any. He, despite the size of John Fury, I don't think he really uh, really worried uh, Carl Frampton. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was an interesting topic to finish the boxing for this week thanks Paul for joining us but now we're going to move on to the world of football with Rob and we're going to kick off with a disappointing story for us Rob because Manchester United completely outgunned and outclassed by Manchester City yeah James 4-1 disappointing uh, result for Manchester United two goals uh, for Kevin De Bruyne two goals uh, for Riyad Mahrez City in total control United hit back with a goal from uh, Sancho but it wasn't enough James and uh, the City take the spoils in the Manchester Derby Yeah they do I mean w- what did you make of our performance all in all were we just simply outgunned by the better team or were we disappointed yeah, you've got to say City are light years ahead of Manchester United at the moment. Uh, they've got class all over the field. Manchester United struggle uh, for transitioning from defence up to attack and teams know that and Man City knew that. And uh, each time picking the pockets of uh, the midfield and the defence um, against Man City, you can't afford to give the ball away uh, against any team. You can't afford to give the ball away, but especially Man City. And uh, they punished him. And uh, Ralph's got a lot of work to do uh, in the next few weeks to get the confidence back in the team. Something that you mentioned now, obviously, we were bossed in the midfield. And I saw some stats the other day quite interesting of all the Manchester United midfielders up until 2009 to, to, to present day and how they all compare season on season. And the top 18 alternates between Darren Fletcher, Paul Scholes, Paul Pogba and Michael Carrick. It's just those four over and over again for the top 18. And then I think Nemanja Matic comes in. Mm. What does that say about United's current state of affairs in midfield? Only one player capable of matching the glory days. Yeah, like I said, James, this this team isn't good enough uh, as a whole. The midfield needs serious work and and serious operation on it. Yet yeah, you've got Paul Pogba. We know his skills. We know what he's like. But is he the right person in this uh, midfield to turn United on week in week out? I don't see it. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see whether it's Ralph or whether it's a new manager coming in next season. Uh, he'll have his own ideas, and hopefully he can bring people in because we we can see with. Uh, the previous uh, 
you know managers, uh, Solskjaer um, and other 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 teams, other managers have been thrown under the bus by this, uh, this these t- players. So you're hoping uh, they they can turn the corner, but they do say lepers don't change the spots, don't they? They don't. I mean, Paul Pogba's always been a problem at Manchester United due to his attitude, mm. but he is head and shoulders above Matic, head and shoulders above Fred, head and shoulders above McTominay. So if he does leave, where does that leave us? Well, that's the thing. You see, it's it is like I say, head and shoulders above uh, everyone we've got. Um, but does he fit in the system? Sometimes you have to sacrifice your best player to get other players in to work as a team. We'll have to see what Ralph can do about that. It's going to be very interesting to see. It's, obviously, the season's not over yet, James. We've still got games to go. We're still chasing that fourth place playoff uh, spot. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens uh, in the next few weeks. If you were to be a betting man now, Rob, do you think we'll finish in those top four places? I think we're going to struggle. Arsenal are... Is it one point clear with three games in hand uh, so we're hoping for a batting collapse from them uh, but you know things happen Manchester United do have that ability to turn on uh, so we'll have to wait and see uh, what happens in, in the future there's plenty of games there's plenty of you know winnable games out there for Ralph and his men and we're hoping we can uh, pick up a few wins on the way we are. Paul Pogba obviously looks like he's going to leave the club in the summer a potential destination for him is Serie A and a trip back to Juventus, of course, we never would have broke the transfer record for him had he not looked so sensational there. Do you think if he goes back, he can recapture his glory days? That's the thing, I suppose, with Paul Pogba. You know, he is a class player and people have seen it, Anthony James. And that's half the, half the problem and half the, you know, the frustration that, you know, you see him do these magical things, but then he doesn't do what you need him to do at crucial moments. And will he learn? Does he learn? As a player of this 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 age and this ilk, the top players, they are able to learn. Well, obviously, with a minute to go, James. Now, like you said, who who else is to replace him? It's difficult, isn't there? There's so many midfielders out there who you'd want to bring in, but actually securing the services is so hard. And the fact is, Manchester United are performing so poorly that none of these players particularly want to move there. Mm. And that's the problem with Manchester United, James, because Manchester United were always a team that players wanted to go to. And if they aren't playing well and, and they're not finding a way uh, of winning games and winning trophies, then players might not want to go. Obviously, us being United fans, we we love the club and we play for them for nothing. But you know, not all players uh, will, will want to play for Manchester United because they are Manchester United. Some people think they are more ambitious than than what the you know the Manchester United are. We'll have to wait and see over the next uh, few weeks, months, and years, James, and see if that's the correct or not. Big thanks for tuning to this week's Sports Zone, and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. 